You're listening to Pole Parlor, a fun, inspiring podcast for all those bewitched by pole dance. Each week, your Madam Crimson Minx has candid conversation with unique, engaging individuals from within and around the pole dance community. Pole Parlor is passionate about preaching creativity, soulful sensuality, and empowerment through pole dance. You know how we do. Welcome everyone to Pole Parlor. This is episode 40, Michelle Shimmy. I'm your host, Crimson Minx. This week on the podcast, we have Aussie pole babe, Michelle Shimmy. On this episode, we talk about how Shimmy transitioned from corporate lawyer to professional pole dancer, what inspired her and her sister, Maddie Sparkle, to create two of the world's most entertaining pole competitions, her view on feminism and pole dance, her deep love of the pole community, and dealing with haters on social media. And don't forget to check out Michelle's post-podcast interview on the blog at poleparlor.com where she shares her favorite photos, music, video, and more. And while you're there, check out the Pole Parlor shop where you can find some fun, cheeky pole wear. So now, without further delay, here is Michelle Shimmy. Now greetings to the world. Vice of the one big gangzilla alongside Skrillex. Symphony! Ooh-wee! Welcome, Michelle Shimmy, to the Pole Parlor Podcast. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, thank you for being here, and thank you for being the first guest of 2017. Let's jump right in. For how long have you been polling, and how did you first discover pole dance? I'm in my 11th year of pole right now. So um, I started a long time ago, and I started because a friend of my sister's really wanted to try it. So she convinced my sister to do it. And my sister called me and said, let's try pole dancing. And I said, no, I said, I didn't want to do it. I thought it sounded really stupid. <laughs> I had this idea of a bunch of girls just sort of walking around a pole. I didn't, I had no idea what pole was all about. Yeah. And that's because it was, you know, 10, 11 years ago, it wasn't really very mainstream at all. Not that it, I mean, it's not really mainstream still, but it's getting there a little bit more. But it was very fringe and it was very kind of, wasn't even really recognized as a form of fitness at all. It was just kind of a bit of a gimmicky thing to do. Um, But I wasn't, I'd just come back from overseas and I wasn't working full time at that point. So I had a lot of time on my hands and my sister can be very persuasive. So I just (laughs) said, all right, fine, I'll go along and we'll just do it. And we did one class and I think out of the three of us, I was the one who immediately was like, oh my God, I love this. Because when I was in high school and primary school, I did a lot of gymnastics and I stopped doing gymnastics as I got older to focus on school. But I like I still missed it. And I when I discovered pole, I was like, oh, this is kind of a mix between what's kind of like sexy gymnastics. really, (laughs) And I loved it. So I immediately wanted to sign up. And I don't even think that my sister and, and our friend wanted to sign up at that point. But I was like, come on, girls, let's do this. And yeah, I guess I never really looked back. I've, I was crazy about it ever since. And still to this day, when I'm teaching beginners at my studio, um, there are some who at the end of the first class, I can see that their eyes are shining and they're kind of a little bit breathless and they're super excited. And I'm like, I see you. I see what's happened to you. Because <laughs> like, that's what happened to me. I remember that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. When you were wor- like, you had a career at the time. And how did that transition happen? Because obviously, pole is your career now. So how did that work for you? 
Yeah, it was pretty funny um, because I was working as a corporate lawyer and when I started doing poll, it, it literally never, ever occurred to me that it would one day be even a part-time job, let alone my career. I always thought that um, – because when I, when I first started Paul, I'd just come back from the Netherlands. I'd been doing an internship at the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia in the office of the prosecutor, and that's a United Nations criminal, international criminal court. And I'd sort of thought that that's what I wanted to do, that I wanted to do international law. But I came back to Australia because my mum got sick and a variety of other reasons. And I came back and started working at the law where I'd, at the law firm where I'd done my summer clerkship, which is like an internship here okay. in Australia. And I kind of knew that it wasn't really for me, but everyone it was a very top tier sort of very good firm, and everyone said it's a great place to start your career. And I guess I kind of just bowed to the the, the pressure, I guess, of doing what people expect you to do. You know, I'd done my law degree and. I didn't really want to work in corporate law, but everyone said it's a great place to start and then you can branch out and do other things. And I thought, all right, I'll do this. So I started working at the law firm and I really didn't enjoy it at all. When I was working in the corporate sector, I found it quite soul destroying and very dry. And I just felt that it was sucking the life out of me. Um, And then for a little while, I got to work in the pro bono team. Mm. which is the area of law where they do work for disadvantaged individuals for free. And I really liked that. And I had some great opportunities working there, but eventually I had to go back to the corporate side again and I hated it. I was miserable, but I was still pole dancing. And to begin with, I was just doing it once a week because back then it didn't even occur to me that if I did it more than once a week, I would get better faster. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it really was just like a once a week fun activity. I, I didn't take it seriously. I'd, I really liked it, but I, it was just a once a week thing. And then gradually I started doing more classes a week and then going in for practice time on my lunch breaks. And, you know, I'd, I'd race through the city in my suit to get to the other end. I was, I started off at Bobby's to get to this, the studio on my lunch break. And I would only ever have like 40 minutes out of the hour because then I had to get back to work. And I used to lie to my boss and say I was going to yoga. Uh. And so I was sort of doing it like three or four times a week and it was my salvation because I was so bored and miserable in the office that going to pole was just like my little secret and my outlet, I suppose, in such a dry and boring world as the corporate law world is. Pole was, yeah, my salvation. And then one day I went to watch Miss Pole Dance Australia and I was sitting there and that year, the year that I went to watch it, there were some really amazing performers, but there were also some performers who really weren't like I thought I was better at that point. And, you know, I, I thought I watched the girls who won and I was like, they're amazing. And the other girls who didn't play. So I was like, well, I think they're amazing too, but I think that I could, in terms of my skill level, I think that I'm kind of on the same level. So maybe I could one day be it on stage at Miss Pole Dance Australia. And then immediately the next thought that followed was, no, that's not possible because imagine if anyone from work found out. And so I quickly put that idea to bed and I just thought, no, it's not possible for me to ever even entertain the thought of entering Miss Pole Dance Australia because if anyone found out at work, it would be such a scandal and I couldn't go to client meetings knowing that maybe they'd see me on stage in my underwear. And <laughs> so I, I sort of thought that's not possible. And then 
but it kind of just like, I suppose, festered in my mind a little bit, this idea. And it bugged me thinking, why am I not doing something that I would love to do in order to pursue doing something that I hate doing? And it didn't make any sense to me that I loved pole so much and it, it would just be a dream come true to get up on stage at Miss Pole Dance Australia, but I was going to not do that so in case it affected this job that I hated. And it didn't make any sense to me. And I kind of just thought about that for a while. And then I had a job, um, I had like an internal assessment at work, a review, and I'd been working really long hours till 11 o'clock at night and weekends and everything. And the partner who I was talking to, she said to me, look, you know, we really like you, but we think, we sort of think that maybe your casual and relaxed attitude gives off the impression that you're not 110% committed to working at the firm. And I, it really floored me because I'd been working, like I said, long hours, working weekends. Everyone else my age had gone to work in London or New York, and I was still in Sydney. And I remember thinking, like, what do you guys want from me? Like my actual blood. <laughs> and, and then I thought, you know what? It's, it's actually, she's right. I'm not 110% committed to working here. I need to get out. And my best friend at the time, um, I was talking to her about it and she said, why don't you open a pole studio? You love it so much. And I was like, you're crazy. You know, I'm a lawyer. Like I've done a law degree. I'm not going to open a pole studio. You're crazy. And she was like, but you love it. And I said, nah, you're crazy. <laughs> and then again, all those ideas that were kind of in the back of my mind and just simmering there when I had this, um, performance review at work and they questioned my commitment to working there. I just thought, fuck it, I'm going to quit law and be a pole dancer. <laughs> and that's what I did. <laughs> Sometimes you just get to such a miserable point in your life. You're like, the decision was made for me. Like, I can't keep going right. this direction. That's right. And I often think that if I hadn't have been so very unhappy at, at my job, then I wouldn't have had the courage to do what I did. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't sort of just quit law immediately and go, straight into opening the studio. I, I still didn't think of it as a viable career because it was still very early days for the pole world. Was this like a couple I years think, into it at this point? When this was three years into three it. Three years, okay. Yeah. yeah. So I, I quit my job at the corporate law firm and I got a job working at a community legal center, which is more like pro bono type work. Like I got paid, but yeah. the clients didn't pay. It was a government funded service. And I really loved working there. Um, and I opened the studios, well, first of all, one studio with my sister, Maddie. And it was insane. I look back on it and I just think I must have been crazy, but I was crazy. I was completely crazy about pole and I was really passionate about building up the studio. So I was working um, 35-hour weeks the, because it's government-funded body. They limit them. It's a very clear cut. It wasn't like That's the nice. law firm where I worked previously. Wait, yeah, very so different. <laughs> very different. So I knew every day what time I would finish work. So I would work like a full day at the office and then I would go to the studio and teach two or three classes a night. And then on the weekends we'd do admin or we'd do studio promotion. And I was basically working two full-time jobs seven days a week. And then I did that for something like two or three years. And this was at your <laughs> studio, started- at Pole Dance Academy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, at Pole Dance Academy until I started to cut down my hours at – at the, the new law firm that I was working at. Um, 
Sorry, my dog's got a squeaky toy. (laughs) (laughs) That's not Michelle, if anyone's wondering. (laughs) Yeah, that's not me playing with a squeaky toy. (laughs) I cut my hours down eventually as the studio started to get busier. But, like, the crazy thing for me now is to look back on it and see, like, how hard we worked. I think that if someone had said to me, when you open your own business, this is how hard you'll work, and you also won't pay yourself a salary for, I think it was two years, um, maybe I wouldn't have done it. But no regrets, no regrets at all. But it definitely was, it was a lot of hard work, a lot of hard work Wow! to set it up. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, for those who don't know um, that uh, Michelle's sister is Maddie Sparkle. And um, so did she kind of like convince you to do the studio? Was she like a designer? No. You had to convince her? No, this is the funny thing. Maddie had started doing pole with me at the same time. But then she got this boyfriend who lived in um, Miami and she she basically was back and forth. She was living over there a little bit, coming back, and it was very – she was sort of a bit lost and lacking direction and she'd finished – she did a, di- a diploma in fashion design or something like that but didn't want to work as a fashion designer in the fashion world. So she didn't know what she was doing and I was – and she'd stopped pole dancing. Oh. And I was – crazy about pole and I said to her look let's do this and I think she said to me you know since we opened that at the time she thought that I'd lost my mind a little bit (laughs) but that it could be a good business opportunity and in her mind I would just be the obsessive pole dancer who would teach all the advanced classes and she would be the admin kind of brains behind the operation um and that was her view of it. She she knew she would teach some beginners classes, but she wasn't really she didn't have any big pole dancing goals. So at that it wasn't point like the sisters were like united from beginning to going no, through this I, journey together. Well, we were united in the sense that but I just think that she her view of her role was that she would be more of an admin type so behind funny. the scenes person. Also because Maddie, um, no one believes us when we say this, but she was not flexible when we started. She couldn't touch her toes wow. when, when we were going through some stretches that we wanted to teach in our flexibility class. I said, all right, well, let's do this one, you know, where you sit in a straddle and you sit up tall and, and lean forward. She, when she was sitting in her straddle, she couldn't sit up straight. She was back like this. Oh and There's I remember looking at her. Yeah, there really is. Because I said to her, I was like, you know, Maddie, you've really got to work on your flexibility if you want to teach flexibility. And she was like, I know, I know. But she was very dedicated, obviously, and she's worked super hard. But um, it's just funny because to start with, she thought I was the crazy pole dancer. And as we've grown, you know, she's incredible. She's amazing now. She's so flexible. She's so strong. She's so talented. And I've sort of watched the whole thing happen and it didn't happen right away like it happened over years and years and years and years so see that's, shows that's dedication good. yeah sometimes we think oh it just comes natural to people that they're that good but truth is work your ass off you know that's right not absolutely nothing came naturally to me and Maddie <laughs> wow that's good to know I mean yeah and and very surprising but cool um <laughs> <laughs> and so what was you so your studio's been around for a while though what is you know I've had only a couple Australians on what was the reception in Australia because I know that Bobby's was kind of established or at that time but do you feel like in Australia you had a different reception or do you think there's a different perception now or do you feel like it's 
still on par with the rest of the world? Well, so when we first opened, we had one studio and it, it grew. So now we have three. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely, it grew a lot over the past 10 years or 11, how many years it's been going in Australia. I'd say probably about 15 years. Um, it's grown a lot and it's still growing. And I think in Australia, maybe more so in Sydney than in other parts of the country, but we're very, we're a beach culture. So we're used to walking around in our bikinis. (laughs) So there wasn't that kind of shock and horror. We're a very outdoor kind of culture. But definitely when I first started doing pole, people thought it was very, you know, they had ideas about it and, now when I say that I'm a pole instructor, people are like, oh, cool, you know, I think that's going to be in the Olympics. And it's funny because my style obviously is very sexy. Like I love the sexual, sensual mm-hmm. side of pole. Yes. And people will say to me, oh, you know, pole dancing, a lot of people think that it just belongs in strip clubs and that it's that it's just all about sexy dancing, but it's not. It's so much more. It's about sport and athleticism. And I'm like, well, yeah, it is those things, but not the way I do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of now trying to fight the pre- the new prejudice about pole dancing, which is that it, it shouldn't be sexy because mm. I love the sexy side of it. But I think that's the beautiful thing about pole is that it's it can be whatever you want it to be. You know, it can be contemporary kind of, you know, very lyrical or contemporary style or it can be a sport like gymnastics or it can be wild and crazy and fun like dance filthy or it can be highly artistic like whole art you know I think there's so much in there and you just choose your own adventure <laughs> <laughs> yeah the pup agrees <laughs> yeah he agrees <laughs> yeah and so um speaking of you just mentioned a bunch of competitions you and your sister started your own competitions you started pole theater and dance filthy speaking of the, yeah. se- the sexy sensual side so like what inspired you to do that well the funny thing is that Dance Filthy was never supposed to be a big thing at all. Like it was just a little side project that we were working on. We thought that it would be fun to just, it it was about the time when, um, you know, a couple of years back, everyone was all about trying to get the sexy out of pole Mm -hmm. and trying to make it very sport-like and get it accepted by the mainstream. And we were sitting over here in Australia like, well, that's great, but, you know, we love the sexy side and we miss that and there's no competition opportunities to, that really celebrate purely just the showmanship aspect of the sexy side of pole. And we'd already kind of created pole theater. And the, the purpose of pole theater was to, we were noticing that there were so many different performance styles and trying to compare them was a bit like apples and oranges. Cause every year when we went to Miss Pole Dance Australia, you know, we'd say like Carly Hunter doing her, um, her very, very funny and outrageous routines and then you'd have Amber Ray doing really beautiful lyrical performances and then someone doing a very sexy type show. And you look at them and think they're all amazing, but how do you compare them? Like, True. You just True. can't. So I'd been toying with the idea, I think, for like maybe two years before we actually did it. Pole Theatre, the concept behind it was to create a competition where there were different categories so people were competing against their own style and you weren't comparing apples and oranges basically. And we included pole art, pole drama, pole comedy, and pole classic because we wanted to show that, in our view, they were all art forms. Each style 
is an art form mm-hmm. and there's no – in pole theatre, in the competition, there's no hierarchy. So somebody who fulfills all the criteria in pole comedy is just as likely to w- will win over somebody who doesn't – who creates a very beautiful performance but doesn't fulfill the criteria properly in pole art. Same with pole classique. So we wanted – to create a big competition, like a national competition in Australia, that elevated classique, which is the sexy I was just going to say, if, if people aren't familiar with classique, it's like... It basically, to satisfy the, the elements, the criteria in classique, you have to remove an item of clothing in a way that sort of nods to the traditions of striptease. It can't oh, just be like you it. take off the hat. You have to take something off. You can go down to G-string and pasties. It varies country to country depending on mm. the legalities. <laughs> um, so you can strip all the way down or you can you could literally just take off a hat or just take off, I don't know, like a, like a jacket or something like that. But when you take it off, it has to be a part of the performance. Okay. And you have to wear shoes and it has to, the dance style has to be in keeping with sensual or sexy pole gotcha. style, floor work. Yeah. So it can be it can be any style really of of sexy pole dancing, but um, yeah, it's supposed to elevate, well, not elevate. In my mind, it is there anyway. But to to keep on stage in a big competition, sexy pole, that it doesn't get kind of shunted to the back of like little competitions, amateur competitions here and there, but to keep it on like the national and now international scale. Yeah, so that was the idea behind pole theatre and also that we wanted to keep the showmanship or the showwomanship in pole, that it was supposed to. The thing that we love about it, Maddie and I, is um, the performance side as well as the tricks because, you know, obviously some of the tricks people doing now are completely insane and amazing. (laughs) But we like to see those tricks combined with a performance, you know, like an actual show that people would go to see. And, yeah, that's something that that I love about pole theater is it's the most entertaining competition I've ever been to. You know, you laugh, you cry, you're, you're wowed, you're thrilled, you know, it takes you on such a roller coaster of emotions. And because I usually MC it, sometimes it's happened that particularly after pole drama, like I'll be crying because some <laughs> of the pieces are so powerful and then I have to step back out on stage and like pull myself together. But <laughs> it's great. It's wonderful to see everybody bringing their life experiences to their performances. And yeah, yeah it's pretty amazing. And validating all different styles too. That yeah, you know, and bringing them all together on the one stage as well. Mm-hmm. That's what I love to see. It's funny when you're backstage at Pole Theater because, like, backstage is just hilarious because you've got your classic girls and they're all like glammed up to the to the max and they've got their heels on, their costumes are sparkling and tiny and they look absolutely beautiful. Then you've got your pole comedy people and their costumes are just hilarious. <laughs> and then you've got like the the pole art and the pole drum. Like, it's just backstage is an absolute circus. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. Love it. Yeah. And yeah. Then, so after that, so that, well, I just want to acknowledge, how many countries is in that? Is that in now? I have to do a, a count because there's a couple of countries that haven't been announced yet but that are okay. in the process of getting their um, application, their, their pole theater together. But we're in over, it's 15 or more countries at the moment. And last year we had the first, world final which was in Prague in October and that was spectacular that's major and you go to all of them not all of them I go to yeah last year was an in was just a lot of travel for me this year I'm trying to not travel as much because 
I, it's, it's very difficult to be on the road constantly, especially when you live in Australia. Yeah. Nowhere not is easier. close. You're not in Europe and <laughs> yes. you're just taking the train to another country. That's right. Yeah. So I go to, I've been to the UK one every year. Um, but this year I'm not going to go. We've got Chili Rocks from Australia. She's going to MC and I think they're going to love her because <laughs> yeah. she's amazing. Um, and I go to the U- the US one every year and I'll be going to that one this year. Um, and I'm going to Pulp Theatre Brazil this year, but I'm not really sure. I'm trying to, yeah, be at home a little bit more. Yeah. What <laughs> would year. you say, like, the percentage of time you spend on the road? Last year I think it was probably – I think I would have been away at least six months of the year, but maybe more. I was away a lot. So at least 50% of your time, which is hard when you own your own studio too. And yeah. It's hard for the business and it's like tough on my personal life. It's difficult to maintain yeah. non-pole friends. And yeah, so yeah, no, completely understandable. We talk about that a lot on the podcast with people who it's like this necessary evil starting off, but a lot of people's are aiming of tightening that up a little bit just for their own sanity. (laughs) Yeah. Just trying to reestablish a bit of balance this year, but I say it every single year and every year ends up the calendar (laughs) just fills up. So who knows? (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, that's, you know, uh, it's very nice to know that you want it all over the world. Yeah, it, it is. It's amazing. And, you know, sometimes I think that I'm crazy to turn down, op, you know, offers of come to this country and do this and do that. But I was just getting very, very exhausted last year. And I think um, when you're exhausted, you can't give your best. And I would hate to go somewhere and not give 100% of myself. But, you know, you need time to recharge in between as well. So. Yeah, totally understandable. And so we've established that you are a big fan of like the sexy style of pole and the classic style. And um, you have, I think, had to deal with because you're also obviously um, very well known for what you do. So you've had to deal with a lot of criticism from people like judging you as, you know, I'm sure you've heard all of the words like from your whore, slut, or stripper, and you've, you know, you've come out and had some really powerful statements about how you feel that, you know, pole dancing is, like, integrally tied with being a feminist, and that um, it has, like, served your life so well, so can we talk about that, like, especially, like, your feminist views, because I think it's so smart, and I think, you know, people would love to hear it. Yeah, I mean, for me, I've always considered myself to be a feminist and I've never, I've never, I mean, there have been a few circumstances where I know it can be difficult for women to self-identify as a feminist because immediately you do get a backlash, especially online. It's crazy. You just have to mention the word feminism and all of a sudden all these strange people appear that you've never heard of before (laughs) that are ready to to fight you to the death on the topic. Um, but Look, I don't think that pole dancing is integrally tied to feminism per se, but for me it is. And I think yes, that experience, yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, that feminism can manifest in lots of different ways. It's it's, you know, it's if you believe in the social the social, political and economic equality of the sexes, then you're a feminist. So it's a pretty simple definition. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously it gets complicated and a lot gets tied up into it. For me, I guess I really struggled with understanding how my feminism could sit comfortably with pole dancing for a while, because I always considered myself to be a feminist. And then I started doing pole dancing 
and I was like, I love this so much and it's it's doing things for me on not just physical levels but emotional and it, it really changed the way that I looked at myself, the world and my body. And I was like, how how is something like pole dancing doing all of these things for me? I don't really understand, especially when people keep telling me that pole dancing and stripping and all of the things that it's tied up with is oppressive towards women. So how can it be oppressive towards women when I'm finding it so incredibly empowering and liberating? And I, I thought about it a lot and I actually wrote a blog um, on, I think I called it being a feminist and a pole dancer or something like that. It's on my blog. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes so people can check that out. Cool. I wrote it a long time ago and it was sort of the culmination of my ruminations, I suppose, on the topic. And I guess for me and my version of feminism is that I think that one of the, one of the big problems we have as a society is the way that we shame women for being sexual creatures and we shame women about their sexuality and about their bodies. And I think that it's, it's a really limiting thing for women because it means that they end up hating their bodies. They hate, they end up distrust, distrusting their bodies. They feel guilty for natural feelings and urges and whatnot, but they also feel guilty for the way that the world responds to their bodies. And I remember watching, um, Sheila Kelly from S Factor, she did a TED talk a while ago about pole dancing and the erotic creature and and feminism and female and sexual empowerment. And I just watched it and I thought so much of what she said really rang true for me. And I think if if people listening haven't watched the TED talk. Everyone should watch that. I'll put that link in the show notes too. Yeah. Yeah. It's just such an incredible talk where she she talks about um, if we were able to harness the power and the energy of female sexuality rather than shaming women for it, you know, that we could do great things. And she talks about the first offense, the first time that you're made to realize as a woman or as a young girl, that there's something wrong with your body because of the way other people perceive it. And I remember thinking, Oh, that's so true. And I could remember the first time it happened to me. Um, but anyway, I, I guess like my view on pole dancing and feminism is that I don't think that there's anything wrong with, an adult woman giving full consent to expressing female sexuality on stage. I think that that's a beautiful thing and I love it. I don't think that women should be shamed for doing that. And I think actually if you're the person who looks at a woman doing that on stage and you can't deal with it or you can't see any other way to look at her other than as an object, then you're the one with the problem. You're the one who needs to assess your behavior and what's going on in your mind rather than trying to change her and what she's doing. So that was kind of how I reconciled with myself, this whole objectification of women thing that women don't objectify themselves. Other people objectify them. So if you're the one objectifying women, you need to look at yourself. You don't need to try and control the behavior of the woman. You need to look at yourself and understand what issues you've got going on. Um, but it is a very complex thing because a lot of the time, and I guess this ties into my Miss Pole Dance performance, a lot of the time the ones who are criticizing women are other women. Mm-hmm. And it's because they're trapped in this kind of body shaming, you know, disgust at female sexuality and inability to understand how how any woman could do such a thing and still call herself a self-respecting 
upstanding member of society. Um, but yeah, I've been called all kinds of things online. Mm-hmm. And at first, it's a funny thing because the first time it happens, you're like, oh God, am I that? <laughs> am I Am I a slut? And also, is, and in my mind at the same time, like, a, you know, a slut is a woman who enjoys having sex with different people and like, God, I guess I am. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, are they trying to offend me? What's happening here? Yeah, yeah like, what's going on? I don't understand. But yeah, getting called names, the first time it happens, you really it really shell shocks you because you're like, God, this person doesn't even know me and they already hate me. And But then you you start to build a bit of a thicker skin and you, you know, you get used to it, I guess. Like I'm sometimes you know a lot of a lot of the time when I get a negative comment on any of my social media challenges like channels I'll, I'll delete it right away because I'm like that's disgusting yeah but a lot of the time I don't delete it because I'm like well all right buddy you can post that on my page and I'm just gonna sit back and let my followers <laughs> yes and like <laughs> throw you to the tigers like Rrr. yeah because they they will and I love that. Like it's, sometimes it's really funny because that some guy will come on and make some really disgusting comment and I'm just like, all right, well, let's see how that works yeah, out for like, you. Look at your watch. How long is this going to take? <laughs> and yeah. And so sometimes I have to step in when things get a bit out of hand and be like, thanks guys. <laughs> but but you, know, you need to, to slow down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're defending your honor. That's so cool. And the, the performance that you referenced earlier, which I want to definitely talk about was your, um, Miss Pole Dance Australia. Obviously you don't compete anymore, right? You're just kind of guest performancing places. No, no, I was competing that year. I don't, I don't really compete. I mean, for me, Miss Pole Dance is not really, when I compete, I don't really compete because I don't, I'm not, I've got so much going on with like the studios and the competitions that I can't train the way that you need to train to compete and to hope and to win. But, um, I love performing and I love, yeah. When I get excited about a a performance that I have in mind, I'm like, great, where can I do this? You treat competitions Um, like performances essentially. Yeah, I do. And I don't, I, I, I've never really been, massively competitive I'm more sort of like and I think that I have not ever won a singles competition I've won doubles with my dance partner Matty not my sister a guy Um, but in singles I've won like a couple of dodgy pub competitions but I've placed (laughs) a few times but for me it's more about I just like getting on stage and doing my thing my way Um, and a lot of people I guess used to get annoyed about that or laugh at me a little bit. Like, you know, you're never going to win unless you do this or do that. And I was just like, well, this is how I like to do it. And I think that because I've stayed true to my style and everything over the years that I guess the people who follow me like that and relate to it. And I guess, you know, it is what it is. Like I, yeah. I haven't, like I said, I haven't won anything, but it hasn't really held me back and it doesn't bother me because what I love is, is getting up on stage and saying my thing. Or <laughs> Yeah, that's so interesting because I think many people would think, oh, yeah, like Shimmy, she's won so much like because we love watching you and we like love, you know, seeing all your videos and we just assume, oh, she's like world champion all over. But this is like such a positive message that go out and dance as you want and you can still be very successful as a dancer. Maybe the titles don't mean as much as maybe they used to where they would allow you. I think early on, like you needed yeah. those titles to tour and to get, 
you know, jobs, but you know, being true to yourself and be authentic is, I think making people authentic or excuse me, more successful. And and working hard as well. That's the thing. Like when I started touring, um, I hadn't won anything at all. I don't think, (laughs) (laughs) or even placed in anything significant. And I, I just, um, put together like, you know, some YouTube videos of like different tricks and stuff that I was working on. And I just contacted a lot of studios around the world and introduced myself and said, you know, I'd love to come and, and do some workshops in your area. And you just have to be really humble and, and be prepared to work hard and be prepared that you might show up in your workshop might only have four people in it. But (laughs) if you do a really good job, then next time when you come back, maybe there'll be eight people like it takes a while to build it. And also you have to, you have to continually put stuff out there and let people know what's going on and what you're doing, because it's not enough to say I won this competition. Everyone comes to my workshops. You have yeah. to yeah, let people understand your style and why they should come and learn from you because, you know, workshops are expensive. Yeah, they are, and there's a lot of people that give workshops. So I, yeah. you know, you kind of want to relate to beyond their skills, but also like maybe their personalities and your your viewpoints, and you know that that other maybe um, unspoken thing that you bring to a workshop. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, a lot of the girls who come to my workshops, you know, have come every year or whatever, and some of them have been following me for a long time, and they're like they're like friends now. I show up, and I'm like, oh hey man, you know. <laughs> how's this been going? And, you know, you were injured and whatnot. Like, you know, I feel like I know them now and it's, yeah, it's nice. I like touring. It's very tiring, but I like it. (laughs) Yeah. So like, you know, it's, it's, it's funny when I was planning out this interview, I was like, I can't cover everything she's done in like an hour. This is so hard. Like, because you teach, you tour, you have your own studio, you run two competitions um, and you also perform, and so um, and our summer camp. We do the pole dance academy summer camp too, summer camp. which starts tomorrow. I'm like freaking out because it's 100 workshops over seven days. It's insane. Oh my um, gosh! And that's in, 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 I don't. I feel in Sydney. It is, oh, it's in Sydney. How do you say it? Yeah. Bon, Bondi. Bondi Beach. Bondi Beach. Bondi yeah. Beach. Okay. Yeah. Like <laughs> I always just see people pulling on Bondi Beach and I'm like, oh, I want to go there. That's, so <laughs> so That's where I am go- right now on Bondi Beach. <laughs> oh, yeah. So people, if they go to the Pole Summer Camp, then they can go visit pool, the, the Pole Beach. The Bondi, Bondi Pole. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's kind of arriving at the moment. I'm seeing on Facebook people like tagging me that they just arrived in Sydney. So, yeah, it's really fun. It's seven days of um, people come from the U.S., they come from Europe, Asia, from South America, everywhere. It's great. It's lots of fun. It's really cheap too, our camp. <laughs> oh, good to know. Well, how did that yeah. – Is did it start um, – how did you start doing that? We started really small. Um, we just ran like a little seven-day intensive thing um, and then – yeah, it just grew. It, we, it's just like everything that we've done has not been accidental, but we started small with everything and then we do a good job of it and we try really hard and then it just grows. And that's kind of been the case with everything like pole theater and dance field theater. We didn't really intend for those to go global at all. Um, I never even put out a call saying, if you want to host a pole theater, contact me. It just, people just started contacting me. Yeah. And I think um, pole theatre really responded to a, a feeling in the pole world that 
we, we're not all capable of being rhythmic gymnasts on the pole. Mm-hmm. So people were like, God, where do I fit in in the pole world? And pole theatre gave um, a chance to to some amazing pole dancers and pole performers who wouldn't be able to compete at the fitness comps, mm-hmm. the pole fitness comps. Um, it gave them a chance to get on stage and, you know, do, do some incredible performances. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Some of the performances I've seen over the years, I'm like, God, this is – it's amazing to it's such an incredible feeling to know that you've created a platform for these incredible performers to do their thing on stage that maybe they wouldn't have been able to to do that otherwise because there was no other forum for them to do that um so yeah yeah I just feel like you whether you consciously do it or not you have this like greater love of the community itself I really do yeah just like you being you know who you are and being like just concerned with your own dancing. Yeah, I, I definitely, I love the pole industry and I, I want it to grow and I want to see it get bigger. I want more people to get involved. Like I want, it drives me nuts that there are some, you know, I see some incredible pole athletes, pole dancers, pole performers who if we were men in a male-dominated you know, if we were skateboarders or if we were snowboarders, you know, they'd be Sponsor. raking in sponsorship dollars, all that kind of thing. And I hope that pole dancing goes that way. It's still early days, so maybe it will. Yeah. Um, but I would really love to see the industry grow and to see the incredible athletes that we have be rewarded for their insane talent. And mm. I would love to be a part of building the industry to get it to a point where we can, yeah, reward people (laughs) yeah like we know you know the industry wouldn't be what it is without you and in fact the reason why I asked about your pole camp before because I remember previously on the podcast I believe I was um interviewing Shane um Shane Evans and she was saying that you and your sister really jumped in there was supposed to be a big um conference in Australia and um, at the last minute where people were already flying over, the conference was canceled and that you and your sister yeah. really jumped in and created something for these well, people to go to. Yeah. Is- the funny thing with that year was we, so we'd already been running our pole camp every year. I think that was the third year that we'd been, we're going into, I think our sixth year of it this year cool. or our fifth, I can't remember, but, um, mm-hmm. we'd been, we'd already been doing it for a couple of years and then Sabrina Waller announced that her camp, which had previously been in Western Australia, so the other side of Australia, that she was moving it to Sydney. And we were like, okay, great. (laughs) And she wanted to run it, I think, two weeks or one week after ours. And we were like, okay, awesome. And we considered at the time, it's not the first time or the last time that that's happened to us where people have moved very similar events to the same location within a couple of weeks of our events. And it's very frustrating, but at the same time, I'm like, well, we can't, I don't want to fight and we can't, you know, we believe in our service and our products and we just stand by it and we let, you know, see what happens. And I guess in one way, you know, what happened <laughs> really affirmed that it's better to go with the name at a well-established kind of camp than a fly-by-night kind of operation like that. But, um, I would have preferred that it didn't work out that way because it was pretty awful for all of the instructors and all of the students who'd come. But yeah, we, we stepped in and we let, we basically ran the camp at our studios and we worked with um, Amber Ray and Andrea Reif as well, who put studios nearby and they, um, they offered their studio spaces as well. 
but we literally just finished our own seven day camps. So you, <laughs> and then we had to do it again. And I was oh, like, oh, I'm so tired. <laughs> so we ran the whole camp again. And, but the whole thing was so incredibly dodgy because I was, they, they sent out the email saying we have to cancel the camp. And I emailed the guy and I was like, look, Gary, you can't do this. Everyone's flown here. And they, they, some of them were still on the plane. They hadn't even landed yet. So they were going to land and then get the email that the camp had been canceled. And I said to him, look, just send me the schedules and the timetables and the instructor agreements. Transfer me the money that you've collected and, and I'll take it over. Like I'll run it and I'll pay everybody and I'll just, I'll, yeah. we'll just do that. And he said no. He said that that wasn't possible for various furious reasons that had no basis in anything at all. He was like, oh, insurance, blah, 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 legalities, blah, blah, blah. And like, I was I'm like, a, I'm a lawyer. Okay. <laughs> Buddy, like, don't try to pull yours. this. <laughs> That's right. So I knew at that point that something really dodgy was going on and mm-hmm. I suspected they just didn't have the money. And then next minute they flee the country and whatnot. So it was pretty dramatic. It was pretty crazy. But we were able to we're able to run it. And unfortunately, some of the students had to, we, we ran it cheap. So I think we had, um, we put on the extra workshops for $35 each. Nice. Um, so they weren't too badly out of pocket and the instructors still managed to get, some of them had already managed to get a bit of their money from the wallers up front. Um, but a lot of them hadn't. So, you know, it, it worked out in the end. It wasn't ideal, but it was really the best that we could do in the circumstances. Yeah. Um, but I'm always just like, guys, just come to our camp. <laughs> come to our camp. Like not only do we run our own camps reliably every year, but we run other people's camps reliably yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing that you did that. I mean, there's so much popping up with pole these days and, you know, people yeah. starting competitions and studios and camps and all of that. And that's amazing and awesome. And like you said before, we want it to grow. But, you know, yeah. it's nice to know that we're in a community that if something fucked up like that happens, that, like, yeah. we have people that love this community so much that's, like, what can I do to make this um, as least awful for the people involved that are getting fucked over right now, essentially? Yeah. It's super rad. Yeah. It was crazy, though. I mean, people were calling up the hotel asking where their bookings were and no bookings had been made or anything. So it was just – it was very – shady and yeah you know it happens like us in all industries it's bound to happen in pool let's yeah hopefully that what that was the instance hopefully yeah that wasn't hopefully that kind of thing won't happen again <laughs> so let's jump into the second part of the interview with the standard questions i ask everyone mm-hmm. so question number one who is michelle shimmy's pole crush well i guess like my original continuing ongoing pole crush would be Aletheia Austin. Like I, I think Aletheia is amazing and I just, she really pioneered sexy pole and I just used to watch her videos over and over and over again. And even now when I have new students who I can tell are really into it and I want to give them like a little history lesson, I sit them down and I pull out her videos and, and Felix Kane as well, that first Miss Pole performance that she did. I still watch that and get goosebumps. I think, yeah. I think they're amazing. Um, but also my sister Maddie, like she's so inspiring to me because she works so hard and she everything that she has achieved, she's worked for like insanely hard and she's a big motivator for me. Um, I'm just getting lazier and lazier as I get older in terms of training, but I watch. No. 
I mean, what are you going to do? Train and be like the top of your physical game your entire life? Like, our but, yeah, I'm in the limitation at the moment. <laughs> it's not like you don't have other things on your plate. It's nice to be able to focus on different things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't but think we I, could maybe, use the word lazy to, to describe you. <laughs> maybe not lazy, but yeah, I definitely, I look back on how much I, like, I used to train like a crazy woman, but um, now I've got more of a, well, I had a bit of a bad injury a few years back and it made me reassess how I train and I was like I want to be in this for the long run I don't want to kind of just burn bright and then like (laughs) yeah you know burn out completely so yeah I pace myself a bit more now smart I that is advice that like every uh expert polar who's been on this podcast has said so like hopefully it's registering with with the rest of us like (laughs) you know don't put yourself out of the game earlier than you need to be yeah um, and so how would you like to see um, the pole community evolve over the next five years? I would love to see all the different types of pole grow. Okay. So I would I would love to see pole in the Olympics. I think that would do a lot for the sport. Um, but I would also like to see the dance and performance styles grow. Um, I would love to, as I say, see the industry get a bit more professionalized in terms of how we operate, but also in terms of yeah, sponsorship deals for our top performers or athletes um and I would love to yeah I just think that would be a great thing to happen because I don't see a big difference in terms of you know it it, it's definitely a subculture type activity pole dancing and I think Jack Gaffney of Bad Kitty used to we we talked about this a lot and he said that he sees pole dancing like skateboarding or like surfing that it's that kind of it's a culture and I would love to see pole dancers rewarded the way that skateboarders and and snowboarders and whatnot like and surfers I think that it'd be a real shame if we didn't go that way because we've got some incredible athletes and the feminist in me wants to see female dominated sports be rewarded the way that male dominated sports were in fact a few years back I contacted Red Bull about sponsoring um, an event or something and they said oh look it's not really in line with what we do and I was like well pole's an extreme sport and you do sponsor a lot of extreme sports, but and you do sponsor female athletes, but they're all in male-dominated extreme sports. So it would be a great opportunity for you guys to maybe think about putting something that is a female-dominated extreme sport on your books. But they didn't buy my argument, but maybe they'll come back to me at some point. Um, That's interesting because we've talked about that before, like, A, that pole should be in the X Games like mm. for sure. And that they're one of the sponsors people always bring up is like, yeah, like Red Bull. Like, in fact, um, Mina from Bad Kitty used to work at Red Bull. And right. so I was like, well, have you ever gone back and talked to anyone about getting sponsors? So it's interesting to know that you have like proactively reached out. And we talked yeah. with Alethea about getting, comp- you know, when she was on the podcast, that like competition should be sponsored also by like Jack Daniels or. Yeah, like outside the pole industry companies. Yeah, I think once we sort of reach that critical mass of the number of people who are doing pole, like we are still small. I think as it gets bigger, it will professionalize and it will become, hopefully, we will start to attract those sponsorship dollars. But it's difficult. Yeah, it's keep difficult reaching this, out. But that's cool. Yeah. That you're like proactively doing it. You're doing like, you know, it, keep knocking on those doors and – Yeah, that's the thing. You've just got to keep harassing people and aim high. And also the other thing as well is I think for a long time we were very apologetic about our 
our sport, our art, our whatever you want to call it. We were very apologetic about it and we were like, oh, you know, we know it's a little bit weird, a little bit fringe, but now I'm like, no, no, we're awesome and you should be paying attention to us. And I think that we really need to kind of not be braver but just be more assertive about the fact that we are awesome and that we are as good and as valuable as any other kind of fringe type sport like skateboarding or snowboarding and yeah just stop allowing people to not take us seriously yeah (laughs) I take us seriously (laughs) and like you said before not like feeling like you have to strip that sexy part out to to validate it to to outsiders like there's got to be yeah yeah, the more you the more time you spend trying to make what you're doing more appealing to the mainstream like trying to sort of bow to the pressure of of the general public to make it more palatable, palatable to them, the more it seems like you're apologizing for what you do and you're trying to sort of sanitize it or clean it up. Like I'm all for just being bold and unapologetic and saying this is who we are and this is what we do and pay attention. <laughs> yes, 100%. And so those are all very good goals. I really hope in five years we've achieved all of that and more. And so we talked about a lot of things you have coming up. Um, is there anything we didn't mention? And the one thing I wanted to bring up was um, your, what's it called? Shimmy. Oh, the Shimmy and Sparkle range. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's, um, we launched that at Pole Expo. That's our pole wear line. Um, it's pole wear, but you can also wear it as, as like an active wear kind of swimsuit thing. If you like going to the beach and doing handstands like I do. <laughs> um <laughs> So we launched that at Polo Expo and we had an awesome reception. We were kind of like mobbed on the first day. We moved so much stock and it was really stressful. <laughs> um, That's but a good problem we've got to have. Of, yeah, definitely. <laughs> we've got some more designs coming out in the next couple of months. And, yeah, it's, it's great. Like I really love it because I remember, you know, going to sort of Target and Kmart and trying to find shorts, like little underpants that – because I've always – I don't like wearing shorts to Polo and I like wearing really, really – skimpy little pants um and I used to go and look at the at those shops to try and find some underpants that would be suitable and nothing really had the right crotch width so now it's awesome that we just go in and we're like this is what we want and they produce it for us and we've had a really good reception so far that's, like it sold well that's crazy so you own your own pole studio you run <laughs> camps and competitions and shows you you know yeah. you perform and you also have a pole wear slash active wear line. Pretty incredible. Yeah. And you also yeah, have some busy. <laughs> yeah. And you have um another thing I just remembered is on your site it's called um Eat Move and Shimmy and it's like your nutritional like you you help people with nutrition and movement as like a non professional uh yeah nutrition. So I work yeah, the reason I did that was because people used to message me all the time and say, like, you know, as a pole dancer, do you follow a, a certain eating plan or diet? Um, and I wanted to have something to send them, you know, to say to them. <laughs> um, so I worked with a nutritionist to put the plan together. It's like a meal plan, and but it's also like a little booklet where I talk about um, my own approach to food and body image and all of that kind of thing because – it hasn't always been good for me. Like I definitely had eating disorder issues when I was a teenager and in my early twenties. And I only really managed to get past it when I discovered pole because, and this kind of ties into what we're talking about before, but 
I grew up definitely feeling a lot of shame and disgust and self-loathing about my body and suspicion as well that every time I ate something that my body was going to just like balloon out and I would be this disgusting creature that no one could love. And, you know, it's so easy to laugh about it, but that's how a lot of... how society kind of trains a lot of us. It's hard to avoid yeah. that. And I saw my body and food as the enemy and I used to really control what I ate. And it was just a very miserable time because it, I was obsessed with food. It was an obsession and I couldn't think about anything else. And I just think about all that wasted energy, what I could have been directing towards something productive and doing awesome things. But instead, I was punishing myself every single day about what I ate and what I didn't eat and all of that kind of thing. And when I discovered pole it made me stop seeing my body as the enemy and I began to see it instead as this incredible tool that would do amazing things if I treated it right and if I trained it and if I ate the right things and I stopped looking at my body. I stopped seeing my body like, you know, as an outsider looking at it, like judging it and I began to live in my body and to to love it and to love the things that it could do and I, it just changed my whole mindset towards food and my body. So I write about that in the booklet as well. It's not a diet. It's just, it's just my approach to, to food and the way that I eat. Um, yeah, I try to stay away from like processed foods and all of that kind of thing, but you know, I'm not perfect. I still do eat (laughs) sometimes, (laughs) but I don't hate myself afterwards for doing it. Um, because yeah. yeah, like I said, I just think it's it's really sad that so many girls and women are spending such a massive proportion of their lives angsting and worrying about what they've eaten and and what they haven't eaten, rather than understanding that their body is an incredibly powerful and extraordinary machine that can do amazing things for them. It's not something to be hated; it's something to to be loved and to be proud of. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's – I'll put the link to that. I'm putting a link to everything in the show notes. Okay. People can just stalk everything. And I'm also putting a link to the show notes the, uh, that um, we didn't get to go deeper into it, but the Miss Pole Dance Australia routine that you did about the – with the social yeah. media comments. and um, will go online in a couple of weeks as well, so I'll send you the link when that's up. But um, yeah. it was funny, though, because that show was all about all of the hateful comments that I'd got on social media – um, and I, I, some of them, which I quoted word for word in my performance, oh my but making fun of them and laughing. And the funny thing was like, right after that performance, I, somebody, um, sent me a thread to a conversation where a girl had been saying that, that she'd really enjoyed my performance and thought I had a great message about not bullying online and about not slut shaming, but that her friends who she'd been watching the show with had called me a, um, Filthy crotch grabbing slut. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, well, I guess the irony of them slut shaming me after my slut shaming show kind of was lost on them, but at least they've given me more material for my next show. (laughs) I mean, I think that those people are the ones that need to take pole classes. Like, clearly, those. those They were pole dancers. Wow, they must have not gotten that deep into it because I feel like. You know, I noticed, um, not to deviate too much, but um, online when I see people doing like comments of like the the sexy shaming and pause, we'll call it, it's generally people that are more new and really haven't like yeah. delved into that because they're like, well, I want to do this now and I don't want to have to explain myself that, you yeah. know, and to have to yeah. defend that w- people's judgment. So I'm going to like 
judge everyone else and tell them to stop it, you know? But then That's you right. And I think it, it is a very common trap for new players. But also I think when you're young, you're so busy trying to um, define who you are. And sometimes that comes by the way you define yourself is by judging and putting down other people because you're like, well, I am this, but I am not that. And then as you get older, you kind of are more comfortable with who you are and hopefully you stop doing that so much. Or in my case, you get older and you just give zero fucks about what these people have to say about you online because I'm living my life the way I want to. And I hope that I'm being a, a positive example for a lot of people and not everyone will think that I am and that's fine they can look to somebody else for guidance. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I definitely, sometimes it does hurt me still, but not really anymore. I just sort of think that they've got a lot of growth on their own personal journeys to do till they get to the point where they realize that online trolling and bullying is not a cool thing to do. Oh, I mean, I give you so much credit. Like I, I know you deal with it a lot, but you know, hopefully you know, you know how much you have, more of a positive impact on people's lives than these people ever will, you know? So yeah, it's like I really hope so. To- <laughs> yeah, a lot of people messaged me personally after the, that they'd been at Miss Pole Dance Australia and they'd watched the performance. And a lot of them um, messaged me saying that it, it really, that my performance really like rang true for them because, you know, they were in work environments where they were made fun of for pole or that, you know, they were mums and the other mums at school had done this or done that. And they were like, you know, thank you for making me feel, you know, sort of reinvigorating their, their sense of strengths and that. So that really meant a lot to me. Um, I think as well, like the timing right after the US election as well, a lot of people were feeling kind of. There was a lot of bullying going on. Yeah. 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 And um, there is a little Donald Trump reference in there as well in my <laughs> performance, which <laughs> when you um, yeah, when you watch it, you'll see it. But I don't know. I just just wanted to um, just get up there and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do what I am shamelessly and unapologetically. This is who I am. And if if you find strength in that message as well, then that's great. And if it's not a message that you like, then bye bye, Felicia. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to write a nasty message about it. You can just That's go about it. your day. Yeah. You can just watch something else. For real. Like <laughs> you cat videos online. You can watch those. Yeah. But the, awesome. the quote I always go back to is if you're not offending every and if you're not offending anyone, you're boring everyone. So at least you know you're not yeah. boring. <laughs> and before I let you sign off, can you I mean this is just compounding on everything else that you said, but can you leave us with an empowering message? Ooh, an empowering message. I know message. You, spent um, them all, you spent them all earlier on the interview, <laughs> but this is how we tie things up. <laughs> I guess if I was going to, I was thinking about this the other day, like um, I saw something online somewhere about, um, it might've been Lux ACL or something saying advice you would give to your younger self. And I guess if I could go back in time and give some advice to my younger self, it would be to stop trying to be nice to everybody and stop trying to make yourself so likable all the time, especially when you're in a situation where someone is doing something that makes you feel very uncomfortable and powerless. I think it's a very, it's a tendency that we we as women are raised to have, which is to try and make other people feel comfortable and feel at ease, even when they're putting us in extremely uncomfortable positions. Um, so I guess if I could go back to my younger self, I would say, if you're feeling uncomfortable, stop worrying about trying to make the other person not notice that. Um, tell them you feel uncomfortable and don't let yourself be put in those situations 
speak up and and tell them that you're uncomfortable and also stop worrying about how people will react to the choices that you make in your life because everyone will always have an opinion on what you do. But the only person whose opinion really matters at the end of the day is your own because that's the person that you have to go to bed with every single night. So that's the advice I would give to my younger self is to stop worrying so much about other people and how they feel and what they think and do what feels right for you. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck yeah. Brilliant. I love it. (laughs) Thank you so much, Michelle, for being on the show. It's been so fun chatting with you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. (laughs) Bye. Good luck at pole camp. (laughs) Thank you. I'm going to need it. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Pole Parlor podcast. Want more? Visit poleparlor.com for show notes and to link to the Facebook group where you can connect with other poleaholics and continue the conversation. Listen to past episodes and subscribe to new episodes on the website, YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Lots of love, babes. Thanks for listening. Thank you.